you got to check out the mentality show. If you could be a fly on the wall and could hear how men think and really want to hear what goes on in the minds of everyday men, then you should check out the mentality show every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook live real men, real talk, the mentality show. You can find them anywhere you stream podcasts and YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look up The Mentality Show. This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. The one that everybody wants, me. You're gonna acknowledge me. Alright guys, it is time for the current state of WWE and in a bit of a different fashion where you guys have already heard me discuss the Hell in a Cell event at length now with two different shows. I'm going to really toss it to my co-host here and uh, get his opinions on the Hell in a Cell event, specifically the Hell in a Cell match itself and where we could be going now that we are officially into the Money in the Bank season and we've got four weeks until the next pay-per-view or premium live events. So, uh, Anthony, how's it going, man? Did you enjoy the pay-per-view? Yeah, honestly, like I wasn't that hyped for it. It kind of felt like a Raw exclusive pay-per-view, and it kind of was with the exception of Madcap Moss uh, versus Happy Corbin. But for a pay-per-view that really had no major titles on the line, with the exception of the Raw Women's Championship, like the USL was defended, but we all knew Mustafa Ali was not going to win it. You had no world title being defended. SmackDown Women's Championship, tag team titles, Intercontinental titles not being defended. So, like, for me, I'm a guy that I like when titles are defended. Obviously, in WWE nowadays, with the pay-per-views, we don't always get to see that. But for a pay-per-view that didn't have any, like, major titles on the line, I thought it was a pretty good pay-per-view. Obviously, we'll get to the main event. I thought some of the mid-card matches delivered as well. But, uh, yeah, all in all, I think it did overachieve. I would agree, and and you know, just as a high level, I think the wrestling in general was was very solid. There were no big surprise returns, which I was uh, one of the idiots on that bandwagon of Bray Wyatt possibly returning in the event, which would honestly be very ironic and maybe ill advised given the the some of the bad juju that happened with uh, the Hell in a Cell match itself with Rollins and Bray Wyatt a couple of years ago that really started to uh, create a, a snowball effect of their careers and not a good way. Um, so let's let's dive into specifically, like I said, the, uh, the Hell in a Cell match itself with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins and the, the Cody injury that you and I and everybody else knew about and the announcers even acknowledged that it, it was a legitimate injury and it happened during a, uh, a, a workout prior to the event. And we saw the results. We saw what Cody looked like. We saw that it was brutal. It looked at least looked brutal. And I like I've said in my previous shows, I, I don't pretend to be a doctor. I don't know the pain of a pec tear, if it's a full tear, whatever it may be, but he still was able to work, I think, a very good match. And you and I aren't the biggest fans of Cody, at least at the level that WWE would like us to be. And uh, the ultimate result is Seth Rollins losing to a guy that has one arm for the third time in a row. Uh, So that's the downside of it if you're a Seth Rollins fan, and you and I have talked about that. But so uh, let let me toss it to you. Give me your, your thoughts on this matchup. 
Well, look, it was a very good match inside the ring. You know, they kind of went off the beaten path a bit with the Texas bull rope. Um, mm. I think, you know, whenever you get these two guys in the ring, you know it's going to be a five-star match from at least an in-ring perspective. And they delivered, obviously, Cody being injured. Uh, legitimately, the visual would tell the same story. It added to it. Um You know, I know that it was legitimate, but I was surprised how much they played on that in the in-ring psychology. Obviously, Seth targeting it with the kendo stick and then talking about it leading so much into the match. So, like, kudos to him that he was able to work through it and even be able to kind of work it into the storytelling during the in-ring performance. And uh, as we know, I think he's going to be out for four to six months now. He's going to get surgery this week. But uh, look, um, you know, from a Seth Rollins standpoint, I mean, it's getting to a point of no return here with Seth Rollins. I think that if you count house shows that he's lost over 15 times to Cody Rhodes. And look, I know that they're building Cody Rhodes or were at least before his injury to possibly be the guy to take it off Roman Reigns. I do think he is a bit overrated in a in in a way. Obviously, I'm subjective in that, and the vast majority of fans are really behind him, so I'm not criticizing WWE or holding it against him that they're pushing him as hard as they are. But I, I just don't know why it had to be at the expense of a guy like Seth Rollins. I understand that they were trying to re-legitimize him after being away from the company for six years, and you did kind of have to account for him you know, reestablishing, re-establishing himself just in WWE because not everyone watches AEW. So I get they were trying to book him as strongly as possible right out of the gate. But to the same token, a guy who's been away for six years, and we talked about this last week, being able to, you know, just completely dominate and squash, for lack of better terms, a guy like Seth Rollins, who has arguably been, aside from Roman Reigns, the biggest full-time star the company has had to offer the last seven years. I don't know. I thought there was a lot of uh, negative side effects that came out of this. Like, I personally do not know how you bring Seth Rollins back to a main event caliber player like obviously from an in-ring perspective he's going to be that guy but I mean in the sense of a credible guy that could possibly win like I saw this stat today that at premier live events since the turn of the calendar to 2022 he has won one match and that was disqualification victory over Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble So I'll just kind of flip it to you. I know you probably touched on it, but like, do you think they've crossed now a line of a point of no return with Seth Rollins? Any normal wrestler, yes. The only reason I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic about it, and I'm not disputing any of the stats. I mean, the stats are what they are. I'm not disputing that Seth Rollins' character has been damaged over a long period of time with so many, not just regular losses or Monday Night Raw losses or, or even just those just kind of the run of the mill up oh, you lost on, on a pay-per-view no it's been big time losses and it's not as if Seth even gained a victory in one of the matches in this series with Cody he got no victories at all and they were all clean victories there was nothing that was uh, you know kind of wonky about the finishes so do I think they've crossed a point of no return any other normal man yes the only reason I'm going to say no is Seth Rollins is that I think Vince and creative and probably just logic would tell you that 
a lot of fans, a lot of wrestling fans have short-term memories. And I think that if they do damage control now by getting Seth victories quickly and getting him on the mic to, to, to address this and having a time right now, this is the opportunity to kind of alter his character to go maybe deeper or darker to, to, to really respond to these losses. Like if he addresses it up front in a promo and says, you know, for a long time, I have been on the losing end of things and just acknowledge it and go darker and deeper. I think that that might do some damage control because Seth is so talented on the mic. He's so talented in the ring. He knows who he is as a character. Finally, and I think you put all those together on top of the fact he's already a Hall of Famer, even if he just quit today, that I think it's not irre- irreversible damage. It's damage, and it's a lot of it. And they're going to have to do a, a long-term story to get him back to a place where fans you know, look back and go, oh, my God, remember when he, he was on that really terrible losing streak? Wasn't that crazy? You know, He lost WrestleMania, and we, we look back and almost laugh at it. We're not there because we're in the thick of it, but I think it's doable because of how talented he is. But the problem is they're going to have to have Vince and creative be committed long term to some kind of alt, some kind of tweak in his character and get him victory after victory after victory. And that's how you that's how you repair it. It's really not a, a complicated formula. I was actually thinking about this while, you know, not right as he lost the match, but as the match was going on, because of how charismatic he is, and obviously taking into consideration how over he is with the crowd, especially if Cody Rhodes is, in fact, out for a long haul here for four to six months, would you consider turning Seth Rollins' babyface? You know, my my instinct is to say no. Well... My instinct says no, only because of the fact that it's been so, he, they've tried it a couple of times and it has felt very awkward. And his laugh and his his voice just this is normal talking voice is not fun to listen to from a tonal perspective. I mean, his content, and the way he delivers is excellent. He's a, he's a great promo, but his he just his voice is very nasally and whiny and it's annoying just just authentically. Um, so the, he has that. And, and last time he was babyface, it. It just it felt like he was pandering and it didn't fit him and he turned heel and the whole thing with AO, AOP that was brilliant and unfortunately got cut short. But I would I would keep him in a neutral territory maybe if they're thinking about turning him babyface I would at least go neutral and let the fans decide like put him in a position where it could go either way and let the fans respond. That's how I would do it. I wouldn't overtly put him in a, in a position that's go yeah he's definitely turning babyface guys you're going to now cheer him. I'd put him in a neutral space and let the the fans decide. Yeah, I I think that would be a good like path for him because you wouldn't want to do like a 180 on his character either. I was just thinking in a way like keep him in his current like form but just maybe cut his promos in a way that is a bit more endearing. But on the other side of the coin like I think that right now contrary to what we were talking about maybe a couple months ago I think that they have a decent amount of baby faces. And I, one thing that I looked at in the pay-per-view, I know you mentioned it on Twitter, but the Bobby Lashley um, celebration after he defeated Omos and MVP. For one, I think that Bobby Lashley has really found himself. I do think that he has always been meant to be a babyface, 
but just hadn't found exactly his niche in WWE, in the landscape of WWE, and that heel run did him wonders. I loved his run as WWE champion. But now that he has turned to a baby face, it's kind of like what we've seen with Drew McIntyre or saw with Drew McIntyre two and a half years ago, that he got himself over as a heel, and now that he's turned baby face, the crowd is really behind him. Do you think that was a legitimate foreshadow that maybe Bobby Lashley could be the guy to take one of, if not both titles off of Roman Reigns? Or do you think that they're maybe just grooming him as a potential candidate as one stepping stone along the right way for Roman Reigns? They're grooming him. And, and, and you know, Bobby is, he's a great athlete. He's a Hall of Famer himself. He's found himself as a baby face. He's actually okay on the mic where he doesn't embarrass himself. Um, you know, it, it, but the thing is, the, when you look back at the way they've booked him, I'm going to go based on the 20 year history of his career. Not all of it in WWE, obviously, but they didn't have him beat Brock Lesnar and they, they didn't have Brock Lesnar beat Roman. So thereby, I don't think that they're going to have Bobby beat Roman. Uh, plus, you and I have said so many times that and I, st- I still stand by it, that that um, Roman should have a it ideally should be a young talent that they can use that to springboard their career and use it as a big like a, a foundational piece for whatever they're going to do in their career and, you know, harp on it and whatever. Uh, Bobby Lashley doesn't need it. He's, a, he's not exactly in a 20 year old rookie anymore. He's, he's what 40 some years old, probably I think uh, a guy that, I mean, is still in, in an insane shape, but we all know who and what Bobby is at this point. And I think beating Roman, it, it'd be a fun match. And I think they'll get there. Yes. I do think that match will happen. There was foreshadowing uh, holding that replica title belt. The, the announcers made note of it, made sure to tell you that he's, you know, making a statement, as they say, to say that this is what he's coming after next. That, I mean, they said that. So does that mean that he's going to be involved directly with Roman or does he just insert himself into the Money in the Bank ladder match? Uh, I don't know which one, but uh, I think we're going to get Roman and Bobby, which is going to be fun. But I don't think it's going to be Bobby Lashley to beat Roman Reigns. No. So would you think that Bobby Lashley would find himself maybe as like a United States champion, as as an Intercontinental champion? Because I do think he is worth more than just like personal feuds. And I know that's saying a lot probably now in WWE because we see how devalued the mid-card titles are. Like, yes, the U.S. Championship was defended last night on a pay-per-view, but it didn't really feel like a pay-per-view caliber match. I think there's a stat that I saw today that the Intercontinental Championship has not been defended at a premium live event since WrestleMania 37 uh, from the, uh, I was about to say the Bongo fight, <laughs> the Apollo Crews versus Big E. The, what was it called? The Nigerian drum match? or uh, Yeah, something close. Something around that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just remember them bashing each other with bongos at one point. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it just goes to show you how devalued those championships are. And like, look. Uh, It feels to me that the Intercontinental Championship has kind of been utilized as like a big draw for SmackDown, like cable pay-per-view or cable uh, shows. And look, I I don't mind that. Like I've never had an issue with Intercontinental or U.S. titles being defended on Raw and or SmackDown. But I just think that they should have more value than being exclusive to SmackDown or Raw. Like, I think that those titles, if booked properly, could really elevate a guy. And I think that a guy like Bobby Lashley, you know, holding a U.S. title, maybe not that because of, uh, you know, theory being elevated by it. But I just think like him being in that 
scenario at least if he's not going to be the world champion at least hold one of those mid card titles and i know that those are typically used to elevate younger talents like i do think we'll see gunther win or gunther whatever they're calling him now win the intercontinental championship next week and i think him it's a bit of both that he's able to legitimize it because of the work he did in europe while have it being elevated and kind of played as a two-way street and i think you'd be a perfect candidate to hold the ic title but do you think having bobby lashley as a mid-card champion maybe post austin theory would be something worthy for him be better than probably the alternative of just floating around like you said with personal programs and they the thing is with bobby you can plug him in a main event and you could have him as champion at any at any time the thing is that this dark cloud of the Roman Reigns streak needs to eventually come to a close so we can get back to, like, you know, regularly scheduled programming because th- this victory over Roman is what's holding up a lot of our predictions and a lot of other people's of this is a massive victory. Whoever gets this victory, it should be used in that way that we just discussed. But, you know, once we have Roman drop the belt or belts, we still don't know how he's going to defend it, whether it's going to be the WWE Universal separately, but yet they were unified yet there's two belts it's very still unclear but once they get that victory or that defeat off of the shoulders of roman and he can i don't know take time off or whatever then you can have those championships in a much more normal conversation of like okay yeah bobby could be wwe champion again or whoever but the the problem is that this is such a unique scenario of, of of this of this victory being built up in our minds of who could be that person. And again, to your question, though, I think Bobby could be U.S. champion. He could be intercontinental champion. And honestly, I think he would help elevate both championships. He's he's world championship material. He's a guy that kind of lives in the main event for a while and then gets kicked back down to the kind of mid-upper card and lives there. Uh, and that seems to be his home. So I honestly think that him as U.S. or intercontinental champion would be a really good thing, especially for that damn intercontinental championship that for for some reason is the belt that you don't want right now in WWE. I mean, it's the belt you get that gets that's a signal of you going into hibernation. I mean, it's just you get the belt. Great. I'm intercontinental champion. One of the more, more I, I think it has more lineage than the WWE championship does. It's a, ch- a championship that goes back to all the way to Pat Patterson. Uh, and so when you look at that, it's like this championship is, is a belt. Unfortunately, you don't want. But yes, uh, I think Bobby could be a great intercontinental or U.S. Cha- uh, champion. Well, I'm glad you bring up the Intercontinental Championship because I'm really looking forward to the title match this coming Friday on SmackDown. Mm. And, you know, this guy Gunther, like, sometimes, like, you just know when a guy has it, and he has it. I don't know what it is about him. Obviously, he lost a ton of weight. Like, when I saw him debut on the main roster, I couldn't believe it was the same guy. Like, good on him for getting himself in better shape. I think that you brought up that he just has, like, that old, like, war general type of face just a like a resting you know what face almost the bone perfect. structure the way his face is just constructed is perfect yeah and he just he looks the part for what they're trying to book him as mm-hmm. and when you can look the part you're halfway there in my opinion because obviously in-ring um, work is important and i have no issue with his in-ring work i think he's very stiff he's unique And, like, he's just very – he's like a unicorn. Like, I've never seen a guy work like him, even look like him. But he also looks the part for the exact type of character that they're trying to push. And I think that Ludwig Kaiser is a great mouthpiece for him. And I think that he's a guy 
that I, I'm just assuming that he's going to win the Intercontinental Championship. I don't see how they don't put the belt on him. You know, Ricochet, I don't think it's his fault. But as you said, he's just been able to do nothing with it. And it's been for quite some time now that we haven't had an IC champion worthy of making that title, you know, worthwhile. Probably going back to AJ Styles when he held it at the beginning of the pandemic era was the last time when that that belt felt like something actually like relevant. But I think that if you could give the title to Gunther and have him hold it for a very, very long time, I think that you could do a lot of things with him. Give him like a Randy Orton-esque IC title push when Orton held it from 03 to 04 for like eight months or whatever it was. Like make it really feel relevant. Make And because he comes from Europe, intercontinental, it would work for that gimmick as well. And bef- quickly before we move on, I will say that Apollo Cruz's run with the IC title last year was pretty damn good as well. And it's a tragedy what, what's happened to him since then. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, Apollo Cruz is a conversation in of himself and what they've done with him, which is, again, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a tragedy because of how good he has been as a heel until, you know, uh, the last year that they've forgotten he exists. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th- that that is exactly what they should do with Gunther. I mean, yes, if they don't have Gunther win, I have no idea what they're doing. And if, if Ricochet ends up beating him, I mean, there's just honestly no way. Uh, the, you, you would imagine there's like a 99% chance that Gunther wins and goes on a long tear. I mean, the only time you remember that the Intercontinental Championship exists is because Rick Boogs would tell you that it's the Intercontinental like when he introduced Shinsuke like that's the only time the Intercontinental Championship got any notoriety was just Rick Boogs mentioning it in his intro with his guitar which is sad Uh, and so now you put it on Gunther you get some notoriety you bring value back to the championship you have uh, Ludwig Kaiser run his mouth every week and Gunther just with his style in the ring that you mentioned is different and that's what's great it's it's not flip flop and fly it's straight hard like hard hitting just almost bringing it back to basics kind of guy that you can he's he's slower in the ring gives you time to digest what he's doing it's not 100 miles an hour i love that not every match needs to feel the same and i think wwe a lot of times every match style and setup and progression feels the same and i i that's one one uh you know thing that obviously gunther doesn't doesn't adhere to he's kind of his own own guy and he doesn't he looks the part but he also doesn't look like the bodybuilder. He doesn't have the you know the eight pack. He doesn't. He's just a thick, muscular dude with some body fat on him. And that, I think I like that. I think that's good. So I'm a huge, huge Gunther fan. Uh, he he doesn't have to even say much with Ludwig Kaiser there. His face sells a match. So uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. Well, because he's relatable, right? Like maybe not for the complete average Joe, but if you're a guy that let's say like tries to have like a decent diet but have a few beers on the weekend and you go to the gym three to four days a week and like you somewhat know what you're doing like it's not an unattainable physique Mm -hmm. and i think that honestly that's what is so cool about him because he looks the part and he's believable as like a legitimately like big thick guy but also in a realistic way so i mean there's just a lot of things about him that check the boxes. Like it's rare to be to play a part so well and fit uh, it so well of being a guy who doesn't look like the standard 
super big bodybuilder. And I think that's what's such a draw to me about him, that it's not like this over-the-top shredded dude. And don't get me wrong, like the Drew McIntyres, the Roman Reigns of the world, they play their parts extremely well. And it's not me disparaging what super jacked and ripped guys like can bring to the table. But on the other side of the coin, I find that there are some points where like you try and push a guy as like this big monster, but he doesn't he isn't but I don't think he looks the part at all. And that's why they've kind of pulled an audible here and turned him in more to like comedy relief. So Gunther just walks this fine line and it's been brilliant so far. And I really hope he gets a nice run with the IC title. I, I can't wait. And, and, you know, it's, uh, it's something that the intercontinental championship needs. It's, the, the, the title's like begging, it's like Vince, like, can you do something with me, please? I'm starving here. And I think Gunther will add a lot of value back to that championship. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And I, at the same time, I also want to see somebody stand up to Gunther and like try to, you know, want, I want to see somebody kick his ass with that. That's the best compliment I can give uh, as good of a character as he is. He plays it so well. He looks like a guy that is, a, is actually an egomaniac from a, a, the, the foreign invading heel. I mean, like that's, that's exactly what he is. So, uh, well, okay. I know we only got a couple of minutes left here and I, this is a, not a loaded question, but since we're four weeks out of the pay, the uh, pay-per-view for money in the bank, I guess it's, I don't know if it's unfair or not, but who do you think is going to win the Money in the Bank ladder match? Do you have any idea? Do you, would you would you even venture a guess? I know you don't know any of the participants, but if you were to have somebody win that Money in the Bank ladder match that p- would presumably face Roman Reigns, they can face any champion, but why wouldn't it be Roman? Who do you think that guy is? It can't be Cody Rhodes now, who they likely were going to have win that match. Who is it? Do you have any clue? Well, yeah, it was originally going to be Cody Rhodes, I would have assumed. But now that he's out of the mix, I would maybe say, like, do they have Drew McIntyre win it and pull, like, a John Cena where he gives, like, a bunch of notice in advance and says, you know, I'm going to cash it in a Clash of the Castle? Like, that's something that I've thought about. You know, maybe you give it to a Bobby Lashley and that gives you, like, another option in the back pocket far down the line. But aside from those two guys, like maybe you give it to Seth Rollins as a way to get him back on like a relevant path would be probably the only two time money in the bank winner since Edge, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I guess those three would be my early three favorites. But what what do you think? Do you think either of the, any of those three have a shot at it? That's I can't think of anybody else because Randy Orton's out. Uh, presumably until SummerSlam where he's going to face Roman Reigns. I would have said Riddle, but it's, uh, if Riddle gets an actual opportunity at Roman Reigns at the at the Money in the Bank event, then he's not in the Money in the Bank ladder match, so he's out. Uh, you know, Seth Rollins is is, is a, a consideration. Uh, I mean, that would be, a, honestly, that would be a, a really fun way to give his career a jolt that badly needs it. And Roman and, and Seth they have unfinished business. People keep forgetting about it. I didn't. And I'm sure you didn't either. When what happened at Survivor Series with the whole shield thing and Roman beating down Seth Rollins and leaving him in the middle of the ring, like there's unfinished business there. Like, well, I don't know why they don't go back to that. And that may be some a way to test the waters that we just talked about a little while ago of possibly turning Seth back to a babyface. facing Roman Reigns may do that. Um, so there's something there, you know, outside of that, like you said, Drew McIntyre giving him advance notice, 
probably is uh, the the likely person to win. Bobby Lashley also could be. I mean, Bobby winning may not be the worst thing either because if Drew is already set to face Roman at Clash at the Castle, which has been on the schedule for months now, then Bobby would be kind of that interim guy that he's he he could face Roman at the uh, you know pay per view after that or maybe the in, the pay per view um, you know before uh, the end of the year. It's possible, and I think that Bobby, Bobby and Drew are really it for me. I, I don't see another scenario in Seth, but yeah. So, yeah, like I would say maybe a guy like Gunther, but I think that's maybe too much too soon. And the Bunny in the Bank briefcase, like, just for what it is for, like the current landscape of WWE with Roman as champ, like I think you kind of need a babyface to win that ch- that uh, briefcase. Obviously, that it's typically, I would say, more tailor-made for a heel. But then again, we saw Big E win it last year. And, oh, my God, what a bad run Big E had with the WWE Championship, uh, eh? Uh, was that was that the worst run? Like, if you had to match that against Jinder Mahal, what would you say was worse? <laughs> uh, I would say Big E. And the reason – I know people hated Jinder's run. I actually didn't hate it as much as most people. I mean, I, I understand why people, he came out of left field. He wasn't a, a great promo. Well, Big E is just this kind of this dude that doesn't take anything seriously. I think it was too soon without the evolution of actually splitting him from the New Day. Uh, I'd actually say Big E's was worse, but at, at number one to me was Kofi Kingston. Obviously, you and I despise that run more than Big E's. But I would say Jinder was not as bad as Big E's. So. Uh, Well, it's hard for me because in the moment, I literally remember I quit watching SmackDown. Like, I went on a protest that obviously (laughs) everyone really cared about. But I got so angry about that that I did not watch SmackDown until he he dropped the championship. And, And maybe it was unfair, but I guess for me, like, when I watch WWE, like, I need it to make sense in a way. And I'm just like, I don't know if this guy has ever won a pay per view match. Like, he had never held the championship before, and then all of a sudden he gets drafted to SmackDown and beats Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. Like, at least with Big E and Kofi Kingston, there was kind of some long-term booking. They were established. But you are right that in a vacuum, the runs themselves, Jinder Mahal's, was better than both of theirs. I think it was just the buildup and the actual, like, I guess, like, realisticness behind the initial victories that just enraged me about Jinder Mahal's. I think I'm just so blinded by my hatred for the New Day as a concept that it still exists, that maybe I'm being skewed by it. Uh, but, I mean, I, I just, I, I I loathe that whole group. And, you, I mean, we've, we've gone all over, over that. But, yeah, so, I mean, again, I, I've heard so many people say Jinder Mahal's was the worst run in WWE history. I mean, I think that's a little much. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, all right, well, we've covered a, a, a decent amount and a half an hour here and, you know, it, it is the money in the bank season. And now we get to sit and speculate about who could win the money in the bank ladder match since Cody is going to be out for four to six weeks or four to six months, presumably, unless he pulls a John Cena and comes back in like two weeks or some, some ridiculous amount of time, uh, back in what, what was that uh, event? I know it was in New York city. It was the Royal rumble. I think it was in 2009 when John Cena came back and everyone was like, wait a minute, he's injured. What the hell is he doing here? I think it was Oh nine. Wasn't it when he, came it was Oh eight. Oh eight. Okay. Close. And it, he came back and it was a pec injury as well. He tore his pec, uh, 
pec muscle. I believe it was the same injury. So unless John Cena is able to like, you know, give a transfusion of his blood to Cody Rhodes and, and you know, whatever, whatever superhuman abilities he has, I, I do believe it'll probably be that four to six month window, but that means he'll be back in time for WrestleMania. So we have that. Well, did you see to. Cena's coming back on June 27th to Monday Night Raw? Yeah. Uh, and well, I didn't, um, if that was part of Monday Night Raw, then I didn't see that, but I had presumed it anyway because it's his 20th anniversary of his actual debut on SmackDown. So um, crazy. It's it's insane. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be something that's kind of just he's there as a cameo. He gives somebody an AA and leaves or if it's going to be the start of something with someone leading to whatever. I mean, people have talked about theory versus John Cena. I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to lead to, honestly, but I'm just worried quickly before we close it out. Yeah. Like with Cena, like I know that he's kind of like on maybe not the back nine. Like I feel like he still has some some kind of run left in him. Like he's not super old yet. He's what, like 45? Like I, I think he has something left in him. But recently, every time he comes back, it just seems it's to like put someone over, which is what he's supposed to do. But I found his program with Roman Reigns really underwhelming last summer. I didn't like how he basically got squashed by Roman Reigns and then got followed up by being taken to Suplex City after SummerSlam went off the air. You know, he lost to The Fiend at WrestleMania 36. Like, I can't even remember the time that Cena won, like, a pay-per-view one-on-one match. Like, I'm really having a hard time thinking about it. Maybe it was against Baron Corbin at SummerSlam, like, five years ago. I really can't name one off the top of my head but like if he comes back and faces theory like you would assume that theory would win but like do do you think there's well i think we've already talked about this in a way but do you think there's like a danger of having of using cena too much as like a guy to enhance the new talent i I don't know i mean we saw no and the reason i'm gonna say no is because we saw john cena for i mean ever I mean, at the back nine of his career, it, it felt like he was he was the guy forever. And we saw him on a weekly basis. And towards the end of his, his run where he was going to Hollywood, it, he didn't feel like he overstayed his welcome per se. But now that he's a guy that has adopted the Brock Lesnar schedule and, and he comes back and occasionally will have a match and he'll put whoever he's working with over. If he continues to do that, I mean. I, I don't see the danger in it really from anyone's perspective. Like, it's not going to hurt John Cena's career. John Cena's career is like 95% written, is presumably. We already know what he is. He's he's first ballot Hall of Famer, this and that. So, And honestly, whoever he works with who beats him gets over, or at least that's the idea, is that, oh, my God, you beat John Cena. Um, now, I don't want him losing every single match if he's back for like a six-match program, whatever. But, you know, he should get a victory here and there. Uh, so, but at this point, John Cena is beyond Teflon. I mean, just, you, you can't damage his career. I, I don't think you'd have to really make an effort. Yeah, no, that's you, you make a good point. I just thought I think it's mostly just the run last year against Roman Reigns. I thought it would be way more of a bigger task against Roman, but it just never felt at any point that Cena stood at like an actual chance at dethroning him. No. And that's the problem. You get big names coming back and you look at it and go, eh, well, that's cool. They're here as a cameo, but they're going to put, who, you know, whoever over with the exception of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kevin Owens. Um, I mean, you, you, that that's the exception to the rule. But when The Rock comes back, it, we, we kind of assume that he's going to lose to Roman, uh, you know, uh, with John Cena coming back, you know that he's usually going to lose to whoever he's facing. So it's cool to have these big stars back in the moment. But you go, hmm, yeah, they're taking the loss. 
you know, so it's 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 fun. You got to look at it through that lens of like, okay, it's cool to see them wrestle again, like and, and hear the pop. If you're looking at it for, oh, it's the start of another run, you're going to be disappointed. So, all right, well, uh, again, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, I know that uh, you've you've got some running at Raw to catch up on. As I I don't watch it live though, so if if you guys are watching it live, I have no clue what's going on. So I, I'm very blind to anything that's happening on Monday Night Raw. But, um, yeah, so anything that you want to share before we head out here? Yeah, well, you know, you can get me on Twitter at adamarker 25 And as always, you can catch uh, my uh, WWE retro show each and every week that drops on Friday. Most recently, I covered uh, Evolution and kind of like their rise to fame during the Ruthless Aggression era. So be sure to check that out. Very good. All right. Well, uh, this will be fun to do next week when we are just a few weeks away from Money in the Bank. So you take care and we'll talk soon. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. All right. See you later. You got to check out the Mentality Show. If you could be a fly on the wall and could hear how men think and really want to hear what goes on in the minds of everyday men, then you should check out the Mentality Show every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. Real men, real talk. The Mentality Show. You can find them anywhere you stream podcasts and YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look up The Mentality Show. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.